This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Just before I start, I want to, if it's okay, every, every once in a while, uh, there's moments where we can, um, what I'm going to say is we have a pastoral moment every once in a while. And I feel like we're having one. I feel like we need to have one. <laughs> since, the morning, since the moment I woke up this morning, I have been feeling nothing but uh, just the attack of the enemy consistently since the moment I woke up. And I don't say that to, make, uh, to honor him or to give him greater glory than he deserves because he doesn't deserve, deserve any. But I'm saying that to you this morning because I think he's scared out of his mind as to what I'm about to say. Okay, one person got that. That was awesome. There's times in our lives where we as believers, um, we can just simply kind of go through life and we know what's right to do and we do the right thing and sometimes we do the wrong thing. And then there's moments where we kind of fall headlong into this place of understanding that we are a part of a spiritual battle that is so much bigger and so so broader than we've ever thought. When I was a kid, I read some of the scariest books known to man. I don't necessarily re- uh, recommend reading them, but it was a book by the name of um, This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. And he had a, another verse, another book that came after it. And the entire book was written in uh, opposite chapters, so that chapters 1, 3, 5, 7, and so on were written from what was going on in the spiritual realm. So it was actually a description of what was happening in the enemy's war room and in God's war room. And then chapters 2, 4, 6, and so on was actually the story of how what was going on in the enemy's war room and the angelic war room started to play out in those people's lives. And it was scary because you started to see some things that, that sometimes you don't want to admit as Christians. Like, is there evil in the world? Well, we know that, but once we understand its source and its power, it can be a little unnerving. So I want to say to you this morning, before I start to share this particular passage, I don't think I've arrived here either. What I'm going to share with you this morning, I'm at the front of the line asking God to help me with, because I don't think I've got it perfectly either. There are people in my life right now that I struggle to live this principle out, being honest. Is that okay? But I believe that what I'm about to share this morning is significant. It's going to be a simple message, but it's significant in its scope. And so what I want you to do this morning, just before we do anything else, is I want you to make up your mind this morning, no matter where you've come from, no matter what's going on this week, no matter what you've got going on this week, I want you to make up your mind right now that I'm going to not allow the enemy's voice to speak into these situations that I'm going through anymore. And that, God, I want clarity from you on what it is that I need to do and how I need to operate through life circumstances, whatever they look like. Just make up your mind right now that enough's enough. That you're going to draw a line in the sand to the enemy and say, enough's enough. You're going to draw a line in the sand and say, no more crossing that line and messing with my house, my family, my kids, 
my life, my job, my health, my this, my that. Draw a line in the sand this morning. Because what I'm feeling like as your shepherd, as your pastor this morning, is that there's too many people that have drawn a line in the sand and have erased it themselves. Or you've drawn a line and then you're just like every once in a while you kind of just, you know, kind of just kick some sand over there so you don't remember where that is so you cannot be held accountable for that now anymore. I don't remember that moment, God. I, I don't remember that day. I don't remember coming to the altar and saying that. No, God, we're going to get rid of the sand. And so I want you to know this morning as your pastor, this message is hard for me to give because I don't feel like I, I don't even feel like I should give it. So I'm not coming to you this morning from a place of I've arrived. I'm coming to you this morning from a place of brokenness to say I don't get this sometimes. But I want to. This is a tough message for me to give because I feel like I should answer the first, the first altar call moment that comes. I should be up here first. Because I don't feel like I got it. But I do feel like God is stretching us as a church with this series. I feel, I feel like God is stretching us as a church with this concept of gratitude. Because if, if we can be honest this morning, most of us, this doesn't come naturally to us. Some of us really, really see all the negative in our lives and see all the negative that's going on. But I believe this morning that God wants to bring us to a place of freedom and breakthrough so that we can have the right perspective of God and our situations in life. And I know Carling is actually going to nail this thing next week and she's going to bring it home talking about gratitude as being a matter of perspective. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray you'd help me. Father, I pray this morning that you'd help me get out of the way and that you'd speak. God, I recognize this morning that I'm not coming to this message with perfection. I'm not coming to this message because I've arrived, but I'm coming to this message, Lord God, as a broken man asking you to speak through me this morning. Some ways I feel like a hypocrite even praying or saying this this morning, Lord. But I pray that you'd use me to be a conduit of something so bigger, so much bigger and so much greater than I can ever do on my own. I pray for that this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like God's just up to something today. And I don't even know what it looks like half the time, but that's okay. God loves me anyway. Amen. He puts up with me anyway. I don't know why he does, but he does. Two weeks ago, we started this series by talking about gratitude as a matter of the presence of God. It's a matter of being with him. It's a matter of understanding him. It's this incredible overwhelming feeling and sense that we are the beneficiaries of incredible benefits given to us by an amazing benefactor. Last week we talked about posture and we talked about the posture of humility or the attitude or the approach of humility. There's actually a verse that we used last week and I just want to start with that verse again if that's okay with you this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5, the second part of this verse, it says, 
God resists the proud but gives grace, but gives grace to the humble. And one of the things that really struck me as I was looking at that verse again, I looked at it in a different version this week, and what struck me was that humility and, and grace are intimately connected. That you cannot divide them, you can't separate them, that they're intimately connected. That to be humble means you give grace, to be gracious means you're humble, it's just how it goes. How many know that there's often times in our life where God's requiring us to give grace and there's something in the inside of us that says, I'm not humbling myself to do that. Are you kidding me? And pride wells up in our hearts and we shut down. And we all have it, guys, this morning. We all have those people and we all have those circumstances where the only thing we can do is shut down. Problem is, is we shut our heart off. We don't just shut down, we shut our heart off. And when you shut your heart off, you can't hear what God's saying about that situation and about that person. Because your heart's been shut off. I want you to have the courage this morning to open that heart back up again. Humility is the attitude of lowering oneself. But grace is the activity of lowering oneself. They're connected You cannot divide them or separate them in any way. Philip Yancey said it like this, Grace, like water, flows to the lowest parts. (laughs) Grace is attracted to humility. Humility is attracted to grace. I want to read just a a quick little story to you this morning. Um, Abraham Lincoln went to a slave auction one day and was appalled At what he saw, he was drawn to a young woman on the auction block. The bidding began, and Lincoln bid until he purchased her, no matter the cost. After he paid the auctioneer, he walked over to the woman and said, You're free. Her response was, Free? What is that supposed to mean? She asked. It means you're free, Lincoln answered. Completely free. She answered and says, Does it mean I can do whatever I want to do? Lincoln responded and said, yes, free to do whatever you want to do. He says, free to say whatever I want to say? He says, yes, Lincoln said. Free to say whatever you want to say. Does freedom mean that I can go wherever I want to go? Lincoln said, yes. It means you can go wherever you want to go. And she looked at him with tears of joy in her eyes and said, then I'll think I'll go with you. Grace extended. Grace extended. We've been given this incredible gift called grace. And just like that woman, we can experience it every single day of our lives. I want you to hear this verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. And it says this, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. According to the measure of Christ's gift. It doesn't say according to the measure of your gift. It says, according to the measure of Christ's gift, that all-encompassing, eternal, unconditional grace extended to you in the midst of your pain and sin and misery, extended to you that grace. The grace that sees you in your sin but believes that you can be out of it and free, unlike any other person. 
Remember last week we talked about posture and that the whole goal of the whole concept is if we posture ourselves in humility before God, that what God asks of us or requires of us is to represent or represent Him in that posture to humanity. Sometimes we go, well, that's easier said than done. I agree with you. It is easier said than done. But grace is the very same. He asks us to extend that same grace that we have now received in relationship with Him to those around us. It's the same thing. I love this quote. It says this, Grace is the only way our thankfulness can be put on display. I love that. Grace is the only way that our thankfulness can be put on display. This is the purpose that we are here. We are to represent Jesus to a lost and dying and hurting world. Gratitude, then, is a matter of purpose. What's our purpose? Why are we here? 1 Peter 4.10 said it like this, Every believer has received grace gifts, so use them to serve one another as faithful stewards of the many-colored tapestry of God's grace. Oh, I love that. That we are to be conduits of that grace on the earth. I want to just start by, in some ways, just defining a couple of key words because I think this will help us moving forward. There's two key Greek words that we want to define this morning that are uh, translated as the word grace in the New Testament. The first word is the word charis, which for those that love to study, I actually threw Strong's number up there as well for those that love to study. Um, some of you do, some of you not so much, but it's all good. Grace is the undeserved, unearned, and unmerited favor of God. That is the definition of the word charis. This is what God does for us. He's extending His goodness. He's extending His love. He's extending His mercy. Theologian William Barclay said it like this, the whole basic idea of the word charis is that of a free and undeserved gift, of something given to man unearned and unmerited, something which comes from God's grace and which could never have been achieved or attained or possessed by man's own effort. Impossible to get yourself. Impossible to achieve yourself. That's what he's talking about. The unmerited, undeserved favor of God. Think about that for a second. I know we read that and we go, oh, that's great, Pastor Cameron, that's awesome. Okay, can you just think for a second where you'd be right now without Jesus? Think about that. And some of us that think we're holier than thou, if you really think about it, you'd be a mess. Do you know where I would be right now if I didn't have Jesus? And I'm being honest this morning. I'd be in a psychiatric ward in a hospital somewhere. Because of the emotional issues that I have and have had growing up. And the depression issues. I'd be a statistic. That's where I'd be. I don't know about you, but that's where I'd be. And I hope you come visit me. <laughs> but that's where I would be. Where would you be? Some of you would be so stuck in addiction, you don't know where you'd be today but everything in your life would be broken. Your relationships would be broken. Everything you long to hold on to and hold on to for the rest of your life, you actually destroy because of that addiction. Some of you would be so full of pride and think that you've got the answers to everything that you'd have no deep friendships because people could not stand to be around you for more than five minutes. That's where some of us would be. Where would you be? without Jesus. 
That is the charis, grace of God. Mercy and grace extended to an individual that doesn't deserve it and can never earn it. Ever. I remember a story I heard once by a Christian minister, author by the name of Jack Frost. No, don't make fun of his name. And um, I remember hearing this story where his son was getting in trouble at school and and these are back in the days, way back in the days, when there would be a little bit of corporal punishment in school. Some of us pray that those days would come back. Anyhow, that's a topic for another day. Um, but his son was in this school, and back in those days, they would deal with things by giving the ruler to the back of the hand. You know what I'm saying? And one day, Jack heard about his son's struggles, had had a conversation with the teacher, processed through all of these things and was completely upset. And then had a meeting with the teacher and arranged this plan in order to help show his son a better way. So one day, son got in trouble again. He was kept for detention, was held back. And little did his son know that the teacher and Jack had worked at a time that the next time he would be in trouble and the next time that he would get detention... He would call Jack and make sure that Jack would come in during his detention time. And as they're sitting there in this detention room and the teacher's sitting at his desk and he's pulling out the ruler, ready to do what he knows he has to do. And the son's sitting there in his desk, just shaking, going, I don't don't want to go through this. The door opens behind the son. And in walks his father. And the teacher calls his son up to the front to take his punishment. And nervous and scared, he gets up and he gets enough courage to get up out of that chair. He makes his way down to the front of the classroom, right in front of the teacher's desk. And Jack stands up and says, no, I want to take the punishment for my son this morning. But I don't want you to just hit me on the wrist. I want you to hit me on my back, and I want you to hit me as hard as you can, as many times as you can. The son could make it past the first hit. And he starts bawling. Dad, don't. I deserve it. Dad, I deserve that. Don't take it from me. I'm the one that did that. I'm the one that didn't listen. I'm the one that didn't follow instructions. I'm the one that got in a fight that after school. It was me. He said, no, son, I need to take this. And he got lashed multiple times in front of his son while his son is on the floor bawling his eyes out. That is the grace that is extended to you. The enemy could come as a prosecutor and say, this person deserves death. And Jesus stands in the gap and says, then put the punishment on me. That is grace. But there's a second word. It's the word charisma. 
And it literally means divine enablement to accomplish God's purposes. This is what God does, not just for us, but this is what God does in us. Grace is a gift from God. It's a gift we receive. It's never a gift we can achieve. It's just not. Gratitude is a matter of grace. And grace is a matter of purpose. Which helps us to understand that gratitude in itself is a matter of purpose. It's why we were created. To extend the very grace and the very love to people who don't deserve it. But I want you to be excited about something that's coming next. Grace isn't a principle. Grace is a person. <laughs> grace isn't a principle. It's a person. His name's Jesus. John 1.17 says it like this, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It is more than a principle. Grace is the very person of Jesus This is going to sound like such a basic thought, but I want you to understand it this morning. The more you have of Jesus, the more grace you have. It's that simple. Sometimes we're looking for this absolutely earth-shattering, mind-blowing thought that will just absolutely revolutionize our life for the rest of our lives. No, the more you have of Jesus means the less you have of you, and the more you have of Him means you got more grace. It's that simple. If we understand that grace is a person and not just a principle, then abusing grace is no longer an option. To abuse grace is to abuse Jesus. It's easy to abuse or misuse a principle, it's actually easy to manipulate a system. It's much more difficult to abuse a person or violate a relationship. To abuse grace is to abuse Jesus. Can I say this morning, grace is living on the inside of you. So let's let them out. Amen? Let's let them out. To withhold grace is to withhold Jesus. And this is the part that I'm struggling with because I tell you there are certain situations my heart just shuts down. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with that, Lord. And I know it's not right, but my heart shuts down. And the whole week I'm just feeling like, okay, to withhold grace, I'm withholding Jesus. Do I want to withhold Jesus from this situation? No. So why are you withholding grace? Because it feels good. And I likey likey <laughs> to use Jeff's family language. And then you have the picture of those people in your mind's eye, and you're like, you know, and you can just feel it. There's like a slow boil, and Crockpot just went to the next level, if you know what I'm saying. And you look at it and you go, God, I, I just can't do that. But He can do it through you if you get out of the way. But God, I like sitting on my throne. Just let me on the throne. But Lord, it's comfy. It's a lazy boy. I love my chair. Get off the chair. 
Let him sit at the chair and just sit at his feet. Lower yourself, Cameron. But do you know what they did? Yes, I I noticed. But they hurt me. Yes, they did. Do you want to know why? Because their heart shut down. And they can't feel me or hear me or listen to me. I can't shape them. Because their heart shut down. And the moment your heart shuts down, you can't be a conduit to help them see me. Oh, Lord, that's, that means there's pressure here. I don't know if I can do that. Lord, that means you're requiring something of me that I don't think I've got it in me to give. Yes, you can. How do you know? Because I extended mercy to you. Where should you be, Cameron? Yeah, I should probably be in a psych ward, Lord. It's probably where I should be. I extended mercy. So it's time for you to extend mercy. It's time for you to extend grace. But what happens if it's not reciprocated? It's not up to you. It's not up to you. Does that mean I just keep going back and getting hurt? No, use wisdom. But your heart attitude needs to change. But Lord, I can't do it. I don't have the words to say. I don't know how to handle it. Sit at my feet. and Let me pour into you my grace. And then I want you to represent it to those that you're struggling with right now. But Lord, what happens if I'm struggling? Then stay a little bit longer at my feet until you get it. But what happens if I never get it? You'll get it. How do you know? Because I know your heart. Because I know your heart. He knows your heart this morning. Say, God, I'm struggling. He knows. He knows. He knows. He knows every tear you've cried. He knows every heart that that you feel has been broken over the situation. He knows the circumstances. He knows the people. He knows what they've done. And he's saying, partner with me. Let them see Jesus in you. Let them see Jesus. I'm going to skip down here, Sarah, so just track with me. Here's what I've learned. Grace arises out of imperfection. Guess what? God uses imperfect people to teach you grace. Lord, could you use it a different way? 
Lord, if I just go to a grace conference and the pastor prays for me, and I fall down, Lord, well, I can I just get grace that way? No, that's not how it works. He teaches you grace through imperfect people. And just so that you get that, then he uses imperfect situations on top of it. And throws the imperfect people right in the middle of your imperfect situations. And goes, how's it going sitting on your own throne? Do you want to switch chairs yet? It's like he knows what I'm going to say before I even say it. Why does he do this? (laughs) Why? Because he knows your heart. And he knows you're going to make it. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. How can we have grace for imperfect people in imperfect circumstances? First, uh, First Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 to 14, it says this, My heart spills over with thanks to God for the way He continually empowers me. And to our Lord Jesus, the anointed one who found me trustworthy and who authorized me to be his partner in ministry. He wants to partner with you on this grace journey. That's what he wants to do. Verse 13, I love this. Then mercy kissed me. Even though I used to be a blasphemer, a persecutor of believers, and a scorner of what turned out to be true. I was ignorant and didn't know what I was doing. Verse 14, I was flooded with such incredible grace like a river overflowing its banks until I was full of faith and love for Jesus, the anointed one. Grace is the doorway for every conversation. Grace is the starting point for every circumstance and every situation that you'll find yourself in. I love how Paul addressed the most sinful, most obstinate church in the New Testament, the church at Corinth. This is how he started his first book when the entire book almost was corrective in nature. This is how he started it. I always thank my God for you because of His grace given to you in Christ Jesus. Could you imagine if that was the beginning of every conversation we had with anybody? Not necessarily those words, but that attitude, that heart. Huh. I always thank my God for you. Heart of gratitude. Heart of thankfulness. But I want you to catch something. Two verses later, it says this, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. What in the world does that mean? It means that they, the church, are the evidence that Christ lives. When you extend grace, we become the evidence that Christ lives. We become the proof. Psalm 50 verse 23, I'm 
going to end with this verse, and we're going to watch this very short video that I think just brings this whole concept to a, to a beautiful close. Psalm 50, verse 23, it says, The life that pleases me is a life lived in the gratitude of grace, always choosing to walk with me in what is right. This is the sacrifice I desire from you. If you do this, more of my salvation will unfold for you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.